0: Thank you for being here tonight. If you're awake and alive and ready, say amen. amen. I am. Uh, was thinking here as we were singing a minute. I could get used to this on a Wednesday. This is, this is just good to hear you sing on a Wednesday night. Blesses me. I love that. Sometimes I just stop singing and just listen to you sing, and uh, it's good. It's good to be able to do that uh, if you don't have one of these you need one. you walked right by it if you don't have one uh, They're there over there no condemnation if you walked by it you could have been busy talking to somebody foggy glasses mask over your eyes I don't know but uh, you do need one of these We're going to be walking through this We wanted to be as helpful as we possibly could on that so those are back there make sure you grab one of those I think it would be helpful for you uh, we I told you last week that our goal in this kind of season and uh, you know I don't know what is happening in January I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but um, for this season right now, we wanted to spend these weeks together focusing on four words in our discipleship pathway, equipping you to live. Those four words, equipping you to live. And that's because one of the things that God has made clear to us is we have to be careful as your pastors, not just to put a bunch of things on the calendar and plead with you to come to events, but make sure that we're leading you in such a way that we're giving you the tools that you need in order to make this life of Christ a reality in your daily life. Uh, Many of us coming from religious backgrounds and being raised in this, it is very easy for us to just do the right things and realize that our relationship with Jesus is stale, is stagnant, it is not life-giving, it is not moment by moment or daily, and so that's the goal of these weeks, to equip you to live. We started last week with worship, and we're gonna spend about five weeks total on what it means to live an upward life of worship. It's one of the three areas we wanna equip you in. You will not be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ unless you know what it means to live a life of worship. If you're not knowing what it means to hear from the Lord, to receive, to walk with him, for that to be real in your life, you won't grow. And so, what does it look like to live a life of worship? We defined worship like this last week, and this is not on your sheet, so if you weren't here last week, you can write this down. Worship is responding with all that we are, mind, emotions, and will to the revelation of God. So you might wanna write that down if you weren't here last week. Uh, I know those of you who were, were here last week already have that paper from last week in a three ring binder and have just saved it and collecting these, I know that. Probably brought that with you tonight, thank you. What a blessing. Um, worship, responding with all that you are, mind, emotions, and will to the revelation of God. We spent all last week on two words, responding and revelation. Worship is this daily rhythm of hearing, receiving, walking with the Lord, knowing what he says, and then walking in obedience to it. Now, the reason that's important is because it shows that our life with Jesus is not stagnant. It's dynamic, it's changing, it's moving, it's alive. God is always speaking, he is always moving. Whether it be through the circumstances around us, the people in our lives, his word, the church, there is never a moment in which God is not saying something to us and worship is living this life in which we are so in tuned with what the Lord is doing that we're just constantly living in that rhythm of revelation and response. But I will tell you, as I went home last Wednesday night, and by the way, this is what preaching is like. Preaching is like spending three days preparing a message, about 30 minutes delivering it, and the next three days evaluating it and knowing all the things that you didn't say right. One of the things I was concerned about last Wednesday night and Thursday morning was that simply talking about this idea of revelation and response might actually make it feel like the only thing that we're talking about is just obedience, just Every morning, God, what are you saying? And I'm gonna do that. And that could become legalistic. It, it could lead us into a non-dynamic life where really we just wake up every day wanting our marching orders and whatever they are. That's what we do. But we're gonna see as we close tonight why that could be an unhealthy thing. The truth is, I want us to see the relational aspect of what it means to walk with God. So I was thinking about this Wednesday night and Thursday morning, and then I woke up Uh, Thursday and had a lunch appointment scheduled with uh, a man who's been visiting our church and he and his wife had just come off of the mission field and I ask his permission to say this tonight, Uh, but it was a a significant blessing to me uh, to spend time with him and uh, he told me the story of how they had been on the mission field but for convictional reasons, they felt like they needed to leave that mission agency, a massive step with huge implications for life and ministry but they just were convinced it was right. They stepped away. And uh, came back to this area, now working for his father's heating and air business and transitioning from the mission field to this, what seemed like full-time ministry, now to this, just a lot going on. But I walked away from that lunch thinking to myself, that's a lot of worship in there. In, in the midst of a, of, a, of a very difficult situation, hearing from the Lord, having the discernment to know what is right, and then making a massive decision with All four children and bringing them off of the mission field back home because of a conviction, knowing that it's right, that's a worshipful act because you're receiving from the Lord and responding and courageously walking in obedience and then just reminded that you can can work every day in heating and air conditioning or anything else and live a life of worship. Like, that's, that's huge for us to, to grasp that, that it's not that the pastor can lead a life of worship because he reads his Bible all day, but I, I'm doing heating and air. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. That as we are walking with Jesus and knowing him and experiencing him in real ways, no matter what you're doing, eating, drinking, whatever you do, it is possible for all of that to be worshiped to the Lord. And that should give significance to anything God has called you to do. Because in anything God has called you to do, there's the opportunity to worship. And I think the key to that is understanding one other word in our definition of worship, okay? So worship is responding with all we are, mind, emotions, and will, to the revelation of God. The one word I want us to see tonight is this, God. What I want us to see tonight, and it's right there on your sheet is this, your one truth, is that God is a person who is to be known, loved, and pursued. God is a person who is to be known, loved, and pursued. As I begin to think about what it means to live a life of worship, I kept thinking that unless we think of God as he really is, which is a person, mind, emotions, and will, uh, who is to be known and pursued and loved, we will never get past an academic learning of Jesus uh, into a more dynamic and living relationship with Jesus. We must see him as a person. So think about this. Our mission is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it, that's all we do, okay? Leading people to trust and follow Jesus, which means the goal of everything that happens in this church should be to get people to Jesus. Like, we want people to know Jesus. We don't want them to know just about Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. I have this conviction. If I can just get someone to go after Jesus, I'm convinced they're gonna love it. If I can get someone really close to Jesus, I believe they're gonna like him and I think they're gonna love him and I think they're gonna find him life-giving. So we just wanna get as many people we can to Jesus. And so we tell people about Jesus, trusting that God's working on some hearts and maybe we just say the right thing at the right time and God saves them, but it's all about Jesus. And how did Jesus do that? Well, he just invited a bunch of guys into a 12-week class for three years. Every 12 weeks, another rotation, Christianity 101, 102, 103, 104, for three years, they came on Wednesday nights and went to a class. That's the Baptist Bible I was reading from on that one. What did Jesus do for three and a half years? He invited them into an experience of a relationship with him. What was Jesus's goal? For them to fall in love with him, for them to know him, for them to be close to him. And in the midst of all of that, they learned all kinds of stuff. But it's interesting to me that Jesus did not put them in an academic setting. He put them on a life-on-life, one-on-one time with Jesus. And he felt that the best preparation for them to plant churches and to advance the kingdom of Christ after he has ascended was that they would just know him. But that, that was the goal just to get people to know Jesus. And it's the goal is still the same to get people to know Jesus. Now, that sounds simple, but that's not a small task. One of the reasons it's not a small task is because for religious people, it is very easy to oftentimes love this more than we love the person it talks about. Or to love this more than the reason we come to do this or to love community without seeing Jesus in the midst of it. And I keep thinking about John 5 in this regard. The disciples, I mean, the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And listen to John 5, I'll start in 37. John five 37, I'm following. The father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me, His voice you have never heard. Now, these are the religious Jews who had spent their life studying the scripture. His voice you have never heard, which means they can't worship. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. This is key, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. They studied the scriptures, but they missed Jesus. And he's saying, if you've missed me in the scriptures, you've missed the point of the, G- of the scriptures because this, this is here to get us to know a person. This is leading us to know God himself. He says, you have studied the scriptures, but you've missed me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What he's saying is, listen, you're looking for life and you're looking for it here, but in the midst of that, you've missed the one it is talking about. Which means it is very possible to read this a lot and to go to a 1,000 Lifeway Bible studies and a 1,001 Beth Moore Bible studies, both of which I love and are great. And in the midst of all of that, to actually miss Jesus and to never see God as a person who is inviting you into a relationship in which he is to be known and loved and pursued. So let's, let's just walk through that just a little bit. This idea of God as a person. Now, we can't just think about this theologically. Uh, what does it mean for God to be person? We gotta think about it practically. It is true theologically. God is not a human in that sense, but he is a person, mind, emotions, and will. That's why we were made in his image, in the personhood of God, but the reason it matters practically is because if you don't see the Lord that way, you're never gonna get close to him. If he's some impractical force, you can't get close to an impractical force. If he is, as Islam teaches us, some distant deity in which you cannot have a personal relationship with, then what are you going after with this? Like why are we here if God can't be known? If God is not a person, to be known and discovered and to develop intimacy with him. Well, then what is this about? Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, God is not someone or something to be talked about. God is not an idea to be studied. God is not a problem to be solved. God is a living person. My word. I read that quote in a book that he wrote on Jeremiah earlier this year, and I thought, Can you imagine the amount of people that look at God as someone to be studied, something to be figured out, something to be debated? Instead of seeing him as a living person who is calling us into relationship, Jeremiah 9 says it this way, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We boast in the fact that we know God. What separates Christianity is that we believe through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with God. What an unbelievable thought, a personal, growing, intimate relationship with God. God is a person and God is a person to be known. God does want us to know him personally. He is inviting us to come and know him. John 17, three says, and this is eternal life, that they know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants to be known. The reason he reveals himself is because he wants to be known. He wants to be known in deeper ways and more ways. We talked about this last week. That the joy of heaven is that there will never be a moment in which we come to the end of our knowledge of God. We will just keep knowing and knowing and knowing more. Therefore, we will keep worshiping and worshiping. This book that I hold in my hand is here so that you might come to know a, a living person. This is why the apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 10, that the greatest desire of his heart, oh, that I might know you and the power of your resurrection, the, the fellowship of your suffering. What is the cry of Paul's heart? Lord, I just want to know you. I want to be intimate with you. And I'll tell you this, if you're a person like Paul, who is a, I'm not, I'm, I got a long way to go tonight. If you're a person like Paul who has been called an apostle, a goer, a doer, you know what an apostle is. Apostle is someone who plants churches, they start new works. Apostolic gifting is someone who can start things, who initiates things. Church planners are not apostles, but they have that gifting, that apostolic gifting. They just, they know how to start things. Well, Paul's a starter, he's a doer. He goes in this place, he stops, he goes in the next place, he then goes in the next place, and The next, this is what he does. Imagine if that's what you do and you're stuck in prison. All of a sudden, you will discover what you want most. Do you wanna do stuff or do you want Jesus? There's a lot of people that have been so busy doing stuff with Jesus, they've never come to the realization that they don't really know Jesus. They're just doing a bunch of stuff for Jesus. What an amazing thing for Paul being stuck in a prison to say that what I want most isn't taken away from me when you put me behind bars, because I believe in this circumstance is another opportunity for me to get to know you, God. All I want is to know you personally. God is a person to be known. He is a person to be loved. We're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, but this idea of the first commandment being love God, love. Love is not stagnant. (laughs) Love is is life-giving. Love is, is learning. Love is intimate. This is a personal intimate relationship with God. I just think about all of the analogies the Lord uses to refer to us and I always think about why would he choose to use the one bride if he didn't feel a desire to be intimate with us? If he didn't desire to be close to us and for us to know him and him to know us, yes, the body and the temple, all of that, but the bride, because God is inviting you into intimacy. What an amazing thought. He said, this is what I want from you. I want you to be my bride. Your bride is not just to be studied. Your bride is to be cherished and known, and loved, and cared for. Because God is a person to be known, and a person to be loved, and God is a person, last of all, to be pursued. Meaning, this is what we're working towards. We're gonna see this more in just a minute. We're working towards more intimacy with the Lord. We're working towards knowing this person better. Not not just here, and some of us have different personalities, some of us are more feely, okay? Some of us are more, are more thinky. I don't know if either one of those are words. But some of us really love to think. and Some of us love to study. Some of us love to feel. And all of those things, because mind, emotions, and will, we give all of those things to the Lord. But the reality is, is God wants to be known and pursued. And in knowing him, he wants us to be drawn into more closeness with him. Because the goal of knowing anything is that it might help us know God himself. I had this um, revelation the other day about my wife. I didn't ask her if I could say this, but she's not in here. And I think this is fine, and I promise you, she's working in the student ministry. She's not like just at home. um, And I doubt she'll listen to this. I'm pretty confident she won't go back and listen to me preach. I had this new discovery about my wife the other day that my wife is very much an in-the-moment person. 16 years we've been married, I just figured this out. Whenever I wanna go to the past, she doesn't wanna talk about the past. Like I like to dig stuff up, not from our past, but like I like to think about myself and why am I like this? She doesn't wanna go there, she doesn't care. And she doesn't like to talk about the future. Like if I'll call her on an afternoon and say, hey, I wanna talk about what we're doing this weekend, she's like, hey, I'm like, I got six loads of laundry going, I got five kids, I don't wanna talk about this weekend. And I've made this discovery and it's really helped me to understand her that she's like an in the moment person, which praise God because I'm rarely in the moment, I'm always someplace else. My, My brothers used to say that I love the next thing. Always, not the current thing, the next thing. But I'm thinking about the way in which all week, this new knowledge of my wife has helped me to love her more and to know her more and to understand her more and to engage more with her in the moment and not to press her in this or in this, but just to know her in that moment. How are you doing right now? What's going on right now? Let's talk about right now. And this knowledge, this awareness has helped me to grow in more intimacy with her. And so it is every time God gives you some new knowledge, it's for intimacy so you can love him more and you wanna understand him more so you can have more of a relationship with him. That's what God is leading us into. The truth is, is that God wants us to be constantly moving in this pathway of more intimacy with him. So here's what I'm gonna do. And with you, you might've noticed there's that, I didn't mention that, but we've got this question and thing up here. So I'm gonna take the last 10 minutes and answer questions. I'm gonna introduce you to something Listen carefully. I've shared a couple of times in small meetings. I shared it with our interns. I shared a lot just with um, just people that I'm maybe discipling or spending time with, but never in a sermon. Uh, but I think it's going to be good for us. I'm going to introduce you to this tonight and then focus on it all next week. But I want you to think about it. So turn to the back and see this nifty little graph right here. Okay? Now, The goal of this is how we can move towards intimacy. The great vision of our lives, look, the great vision of our lives is absolute oneness with Jesus Christ. So uh, we can be more honest in here, we don't have a lot of kids in here, so the idea of physical intimacy in marriage is a picture of complete oneness. And God's desire for us is that type of oneness, that we would be completely one with him. That exists not just for our pleasure, which God cares about, but it exists as a picture of oneness. And so it is as God is drawing us into absolute and complete intimacy with him, we will long for nothing else but him in all of eternity because we will begin to understand for the first time what it's like to be one with God, to know him perfectly and completely. So the goal is to move there. But this is the pathway that God used to take us there. I'm gonna literally spend five minutes on this. I want you to meditate on this this week and I'm gonna talk about it the entire time next week. Every one of us start in a master-servant relationship with God. Every one of us. Jesus says, follow me. And you know what you say? Yes, sir. You're the boss. What do we say? Jesus needs a savior and what of your life? Savior and Lord of your life. By the way, I'm using Wednesday nights to get you more responsive on Sunday mornings, okay? This is one of my ulterior motives in this. So we start by saying, whatever you say, I'm gonna do. Yes, sir, you're the boss. It is very much based upon what are the rules? How does this work? What are you expecting of me? And whatever you say, I'm gonna do. Wherever you lead, I'm gonna follow, I'm in. This is a master-servant relationship. The goal is to do better. It is driven by a sense of duty. It's about roles and rules. And the question is always, who's in charge, Lord? You're in charge. I'm gonna say more about this next week. God has helped me understand people in a church people in a much deeper way by helping me realize that most people never move beyond master servant. Their only relationship with Jesus is yes, sir. And by the way, at the end of his, Paul's life, he still said, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You're always a servant of the Lord. It, we always, yes, sir. But he doesn't want you to stop there. And most people, I've talked to some of you about this later, that come out of, an, out of, a, out of a church culture that is, that is guilt-driven and manipulative and rules and rules and rules and every sermon is do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this. You can, in that environment, get people into a master-servant relationship, but you can't get them beyond that. And frankly, the reason... Most churches can't get beyond that is because the pastor's never gone beyond that. So we start there, but God wants to to bring us into a father son relationship. He wants us to know God as father. That's a little bit more intimate. Now, it's still authority. There's still the the father. He's still the one in charge, he's still the one calling the shots, but now it becomes a little more relational. You know a father in a way that you don't know a, a master. And then he wants us to move into a side by side, you could put beside that friendship. He says in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends." So you know what, by the way, that's at the very end of Jesus's ministry, he says that, because you know what Jesus is doing for three years, he's starting with master, servant, you're the boss, wherever you say I'll go, I'm gonna follow you. He then teaches them how to pray and he introduces them to father, which they did not have a concept of. And then towards the end of his life, very nearly, days, he says, hey, I'm not calling you servants, I'm calling you friends. I, I want you to, to know me like a friend, where we're side by side. We're walking together, we're enjoying one another's company. The ultimate goal is this idea of, of lovers, that there would be this this." Reckless affection with God where we are fully his. We want nothing more to know absolute intimacy with him. We are satisfied, we feel treasured and secure. A a servant does not feel treasured. But in an intimate relationship, you feel treasured. The goal is to to hold and to cherish. What I've discovered, I have been in some contexts, some church contexts, not here. In which there are people, some Marys, they just want to get intimate with Jesus. They they just they want to know Jesus, and all they want is to go deeper with Jesus. I have been in contexts in which those people have made feel guilty because they weren't doing enough. Well, if you just if you just stop reading your Bible and spending time with Jesus and get out and tell somebody about Jesus, we all be better off. Because the person preaching has never understood what it's like to get past master, servant, and we still we still obey? He's still the master of the Lord? Man, if you can get to that place, and that's the goal where all you want is just complete intimacy with Jesus every moment, nothing in between. No, this is By the way, this is how you start fighting sin because now all of a sudden you hate sin, not because God said don't sin, but because you don't want anything to interrupt the fellowship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's such a better motivation for not sinning, isn't it? And God moves us through these. And we're gonna talk about next week. I'm just gonna give you a taste. The primary way that God moves us from this place to the next is disrupting our lives. God brings massive disruption in our lives through conflict and suffering in order to move us. And what worship looks like is this. Worship is seeing God's disruptions, all the disruptions of life, responding to them in a positive way. Some of you have just some deep, just some things that have held you back, some circumstances, whatever they may be. What I want you to see next week is this, is God puts disruptions in your life to call you into greater intimacy. You can either receive that invitation through disruption and and respond and move or just be stuck and bitter. God is constantly pushing you towards intimacy. So we're gonna really work through this next week. And I believe as we talk through a little bit more, it could be, Revolutionary for some of you in your relationship with the Lord, So don't miss it. Let me pray and I'm gonna see if there's any questions. You could even text a question while I pray or just wait a minute, I'll be done, then you can do some questions. Father, um, I have barely, barely tasted but I have tasted and seen that you're good. And I, and, I, and I mean that in just that you have just given me little, just little bites, just little appetizers that I've just nibbled on and gotten some crumbs. But God, I have discovered that you are good and the more I know you, the more I love you and I like you and I wanna be around you. And So God, I pray that you would do that in our lives. And I am concerned about those who know nothing but just a sense of Obligation and duty and don't know just the delight of walking with you in intimacy so God would you would you move us <laughs> would you move us scary to say but God we invite your disruptions in our lives that we might know you more we pray this in Jesus name thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon may you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same for more information visit us at pabc.org